Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are holy. You are amazing and you are wonderful and we love you so much. Lord, I pray today that you would just speak loudly and that I would stay quiet and that I would get out of the way. Lord, I lift up the youth going down. I pray that you would just work in their heart. They would see you and they would understand the words of that song. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The kids can be dismissed. I think I could listen to that song over and over again, over and over again. I think I could read Romans 8 over and over again. I believe Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. I believe Romans is the greatest book in all the Bible. In Romans 1 through 7, I can't help but imagine Paul being like a Baptist preacher. Right? He's telling the story. He's teaching us about God's Word. And then I imagine Paul, he gets to Romans 8 and he's like all straight up Pentecostal. Man, the Holy Spirit is, is moving. He's proclaiming Christ and this reassurance that we have in Him and not in this world. You see, the Holy Spirit is not about ten ways that we can be a better parent. Eight ways that we can be a better spouse or 93 ways that we can be a better Christian. No, He is about Jesus Christ. And the only way we can be alive and not dead is through Him. Death will be no more. The flesh no longer controls us. We are Christ. When I was going to school to be a pastor in Omaha, I went to this Pentecostal church. I wanted to see how it was done. And it was crazy. I'm telling you right now that the pastor was literally jumping on the stairs. He was jumping back on the stage. He was sweating like he had just got done playing a football game. The people in the, in the crowd, they were doing sprints around the place. I mean, it was so overwhelming. And I'm not saying we need to be like that. Not at all. But maybe we could just understand that people... Like, like last night at a football game, right? I'm watching Buffalo, and it's like 10 degrees, and people don't have their shirts on. They're cheering. They're worshiping a football team. Now, they did really good, yeah, but... Okay, negative seven, sorry. I just sometimes wish that we could worship God in something similar. It seems like we're so calm when Jesus is so... Great. So as we get to Romans 8, I just pray that it would do something in your heart. That it would move in you. As you see how much more wonderful Jesus is than any football team that we can ever love. The first part of Romans 8 contrasts death and life. 
You see, this world, it offers condemnation. It offers bondage and sin, conflict and hostility. The world gives us death. But Jesus, Jesus never lets us down. He is so much more. The Bible tells us that He provides the Holy Spirit. We can feel it inside of us. He provides no condemnation. None. We are free. And there is goodness, and there is gentleness, and there is peace. And we can please God. He's our friend. When we have Jesus, we have life. I don't know if you guys have seen the Capital One Easiest Decision commercial. My favorite one is Charles Barkley, and he's in line waiting to get picked. And all these other 12-year-olds are right around him. They come up to his waist, and he gets picked first. And he's so excited, and he's like talking trash back to him. Guys, I'm telling you, Jesus is even more easy than that. Our decision should always be Jesus. So today our text is Romans 8, 12-17. And I want to break it down into three categories. The first one is obligation. We are not to be obligated to this world. We are to be obligated to Christ. The second one is obliteration. The Holy Spirit in our life will help us obliterate sin, which should lead us to obedience. Number three. And all of this is knitted together with this reassurance that we have in the Holy Spirit. As He provides for us, He shapes us in each one of these. When we have Christ, we are free. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So then, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. It starts in verse 12 with, So then... So then, we do not owe the world a thing. And when I talk about the world, I'm talking about the pleasures and the desires, the things that go against God. I'm not talking about the people. You see, I think that we owe it to God to love the people, to reach out to them. They are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Obliviousness is the enemy. False religion is the enemy. Lies are the enemy. We owe everything to God. Our debt is to God. Our obligation is to Christ and the Spirit will enlighten it. The Spirit will direct it and He will shape it. Have you ever thought about it? We are literally saved from death to life. Romans 12 and 13. Let's see this obligation. So then, brothers, we are debtors. We are obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Bill talked about this no condemnation. We saw it back in verse 1. And I think sometimes we think of this as being put in time out. Maybe some of us think this is like getting a little soft tap on the tush, but it's more than that. 
Right? Condemnation is this being separated from the greatest being throwing the greatest party while we're stuck in the Sierra Desert on steroids with no water, thirsty as all can be. We can see the water, but we can never get to it. Guys, it's worse than dying. At least dying, the suffering stops, but death here is this separation from Christ while we know that there is something that we could have done about it. So if you're a brother or a sister, a believer in Christ, if you have surrendered to Him, you must be obligated to Him. And you are the most obligated person in the history of mankind. And this is a wonderful thing because you are set free. You have a new Master. We are no longer reliant or allegiant to this world, but so often I think that we try to hold on to the things of this world. Chuck Swindoll, he tells this story about a village in India. This village where everybody comes to sell and trade, and there was this old farmer, and he had this covey of quail. And he would tie a string to one end of their leg and then tie the other string to a, a ring, and then he would place it around a stick, and this covey of quail would walk in a circle again and again, over and over. And he hadn't sold any. And finally, this Hindu man who believed that everything could be set free, believed in life for all things, he comes to him and he purchases every single one of them, purchases their freedom. And he looks at the farmer and he says, cut the strings. The farmer's a little bit startled, but he does what he tells him because he doesn't own the quail anymore. And as soon as he cuts the strings, do you know what happened? Do you think they flew away? No. These birds just kept on marching. Kept on marching even when they were cut, when they were free. Finally, they shoo them off and they just fly 15 feet away and they do the same thing over and over again. I mean, they could have flown away, but they choose to remain in their own bondage. The things that they had, the past sins in their life. We do the same thing. You see, we come to Christ, we have this free gift, but yet we hold on to the things in our past life, the desires, these passions, these sins of our old life. I don't know about you, but I would rather die than walk in a circle for all of eternity. And that is what separation from Christ is like. With Him, we are free to fly, but we are also free to walk with Him and we have this desire to do so. It's like getting off this merry-go-round of this world and taking flight with Jesus. And not only that, He sends us off to do mission. He gives us purpose. But yet so many of us, we keep flirting with the ways of the world. Instead of putting to death our past life, we try to keep it around. We need to obliterate sin. And I get it, sin is tough. But our Bible, it tells us to eradicate, to erase, to remove, to put to death, to stick a, stick a dynamite in our past life and blow it up, to get rid of it with the Holy Spirit's help, of course. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Are we actively, through the Holy Spirit, obliterating the deeds of of the body, the sins of the body. My mom said it last week that sin could be fun. Why else would we want to do it? But it's only for a moment. You see, one night of drunkenness can be fun until you get in your car and you kill somebody. 
And even if you don't kill somebody, one night leads to two, leads to a week, leads to a month, leads to a year, and soon you are in complete bondage to this alcohol. And pretty soon, you're tied by a string to it as you walk around the bottle of your choice. I'm not necessarily against having a drink, but I am so against the drink having you. And some of you might not struggle with some of this, but you struggle with other things. You don't have any problem with this, giving up cursing or, or giving up sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but do not mess with my taxes. Right? Rotten government. They have no right to take my money. And I get it. I hate taxes too. That's why I'm talking about it. I want to give my money to God's kingdom. I don't want to give it to the government. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we must do it without lying, without cheating, and without scamming. Then others of you, you don't have any problem in this area. You say, I'm good in every way but this sex, right? Stay out of my bedroom. I mean, God didn't know the desires that I needed. He didn't understand who I was. Then others of us, we love our Jesus and our coffee with a little waffle gossip on the side. Guys, just because you're like Baker Mayfield and you end the conversation with she's a good egg though, does not make gossip okay. I think you guys watched a little more TV than the first, the first service. Oh man. Others like me have patience with everybody in this world except my own family. Do we have the Spirit or not? You see, because when I read this text, we are obligated to God. We are obligated to Christ. And we are obligated to the Spirit, the Godhead, three in one, because He has given us life. And the Spirit is there to put death to sin, to obliterate it. And if you're struggling with sin, I'm not saying that you're not saved. I'm not saying that at all. The question here is not whether or not you're a sinner. The question is whether or not you hate sin and you recognize it. You see, if we deny something is sin in our life, then we deny the saving power of Jesus Christ. And every one of you like is, yeah, preach it, Pastor. But when I say, how do we kill sin through the work of the Holy Spirit, my guess is there is crickets. So here are five ways. I know I wouldn't do this, but the Spirit should kill sin in our life. Number one, love Jesus. I mean deeply love Jesus. Joshua 23, 9-11. For the Lord has driven out before you a great and strong nation. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as He promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love your God. Now I understand this is talking about Israel and it's talking about this battle for the promised land, but the ultimate true promised land is Jesus' kingdom. And the great and strong nation that we battle are the desires and the pleasures of this world. This sin that is all around us and in us. But God. But God has the power over these things in our life. He has saved us from them. And we are obligated not to the nations, not to sin, not to the world, but we are obligated to God. And our God, who we are obligated, He fights for us. 
And He has told us this. And we will have a reassurance by the Spirit that He will do exactly what He promises. So love Him. Hebrews 3.1 in the Berean Bible says this, Therefore, holy brothers, partners in a heavenly calling, keep your focus on Jesus, the Apostle and the High Priest of our confession. It's pretty hard to sin when we are focused on Christ on the cross. If you're looking at your IRS statement while visualizing Christ giving His life on the cross, it's pretty tough to cheat on your taxes. I'm telling you that it is pretty tough to have a lustful thought when you are thinking about Christ bloody and beaten on a cross. And what about gossip? The next time you gossip, think about talking to Christ, gossiping to Christ, and it will make you think twice before you say something about somebody else. And when we love something, we are focused on it. And what I love about it is Jesus is more than just our love for Him. He actually gave us the ability to love. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. Because He is love, He first loved us. And now we have this ability to love. And this takes us to the second part. Verse 20 If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen cannot love God whom he, whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. It's a tongue twister. You see, part of loving Jesus is to love others. Especially believers. Look around. Do you love the people that are in this room? Guys, if we allow hate for others, it opens the door for sin in our life. And when sin is in our life, it breeds more and more sin. Which leads us to the next one. Number two, we are to confess sin. When we keep sin hidden in our heart, it opens the door for Satan to blackmail us with it. But the Bible, it tells us in Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Does this include sin or not? And I know all of us. I know myself. I have this sin in my life that has shaped who I am. And God, He can use this past sin to bring glory to Himself. But that does not mean that He wants us to keep on sinning. After you give your life to Christ... He does not want you to stay in bondage. He wants you freed from bondage to allow the Holy Spirit to transform you into the person that He wants you to be. But yet, most of us, we keep sin in our life. We hold on to it, but why? Are we fearful what others might think? You see, when we are fearful, Satan uses it to control us. When we are honest about sin, God can and God will use it for His glory. We must no longer be ashamed of it. It is forgiven. And we display God's glory. The fact that He saved a wretch like you and a wretch like me. I'm not saying that you have to go around and tell the whole world all your sins. But when you give it to God, it is His. And you do not have to be ashamed of it. And He loves you despite of it. 
You are not separated from Him because of it, because you are a son of God. You are heirs with Christ. And the other aspect of sin is ignoring it. When we ignore, when we ignore sin, when we do not look at it as sin, we cannot be redeemed from it. You see, just because it makes us feel better to ignore sin does not mean that it's not sin. You can be an atheist all you want, but that does not make God any less real. Truth is truth, and absolute truth is God and His Word. Which leads us to the third one. Arm yourself with the Word. Arm yourself with the Bible. Do you have some it is written in your life? Jesus did. Matthew 4, He's in the desert. He is fasting for 40 days and Satan tempts Him. He is tempting the God of the universe, the Creator of everything. And He thought it was important to memorize Scripture. If Jesus needed the Word and He was perfect, how much more do we need some His written in our life? So Satan, he shows up and he tells him to turn the stones into bread so he can eat. And Jesus says this in Matthew 4.4, 4, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is that the way that we live? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's right here in front of us. Is this the way that we live? We have access to it. And if one temptation is not enough, Satan takes him to the temple and he says something that we can learn from. It's in verse 6. The devil said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Did you see that? Satan knows God's Word also. It's not enough just to know the Bible. We have to live it. We have to be armed with it. It is our defense. It is our weapon. It is our life. Then Satan does it a third time. He tries to offer Jesus all the things of the world. All these things that we should have a desire to put to death. And I love what Jesus says here in verse 10. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only you shall serve. You want to know how to kill sin? Be God. I am going to worship the Lord my God and only Him am I going to serve. Is that our life? And if we serve something, then we must be in contact with it. Which leads us to number four. We are to be devoted to a life in prayer. Are we in contact with God? You see, if we lose our connection to God, then I know that we are in trouble. We must not be oblivious, but be aware and in contact with our Creator. Matthew 26, 41, Jesus says this, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knows that He's about to die on a cross to carry all the sins of all the world, and He cares about His disciples who are over there asleep. You see, they had an excuse. At this moment in time, they didn't have the Spirit dwelling inside of them. We have the Spirit, and He is ready to help in all of this. And I get it, our flesh is weak, but the Spirit is there, and He is stronger than any flesh. 
Which takes us to the last one. Not only is the Spirit important, but we must have some believers, some friends, some people around us that love Jesus that we can be accountable with. Acts 2.42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to breaking of bread and to prayer. You see, when two people are filled with the Spirit and they work together, there is a better chance that they are going to be able to kill sin. So I ask you, how many of you guys are in a Bible study? How many of you guys are in a small group? Right? How many of you guys have a friend that you can live this Christian life with? Amen and amen and amen. Do you have somebody that will hold you accountable, that you can break bread with, that you can pray with? You see, the church is the people that are in it. And we are here to support each other as we walk with Christ each day. And just like we get in trouble when we walk in sin, like I did with my buddy Jeff, who usually sits right there when we are young, now we're not walking in sin. We are walking in our faith as we hold each other accountable. And we pick each other up as we live this life, as we actively kill sin with the help of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we may be able to be saved without being in the church, without having anyone else around us, but I'm telling you that you will not grow, that you will not find purpose without the church. Sometimes we think the church is like plan B or C or Z. The church is plan A. God designed that so that we can live life together and hold each other accountable. So do you love Jesus? Do you confess sin? Do you know the Word? And are you devoted to prayer? I know Jenny is. And do you have some Christian brothers and sisters? People around you. And because you are a sister and brother of God, are you obedient to Him? Romans 8, 14-17 For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. If the Spirit is in you, you are sons and daughters of God. And if you are a child of God, that means you are Jesus' little sibling. Christ. Jesus Christ. You are His sibling. Provided that we suffer with Him in order that you can be glorified with Him. Think about that for a second. And Jesus is not some mean brother like Jeff's brother Bob who used to give us a typewriter all the time. I've forgiven him. Our Jesus is the brother that loves us regardless of how much we love him. He's the brother that provides for you. He's the brother that teaches you and spends time with you. He's the brother that takes you to a 2005 Broncos Patriot game where Champ Bailey picks off Tom Brady, takes it 99 yards with a Broncos score, and they win the football game. Okay, that was me, but I was a really cool brother that day. But even as cool as I was on that day, it does not even compare to how cool Jesus is. And if we're going to experience Jesus as our brother, 
If we're going to experience the Father as our dad, obedience is critical. You see, how much more love can your children feel when they do what they are asked? How troubling is it when you're a dad and you're continually having to discipline your child? There's this breakdown. You don't get to grow and build the relationship. You see, when you have an amazing dad, you don't have to worry about fear. I was never afraid when I went places with my dad because he had everything covered. And when I say everything, I mean everything. My dad literally had the extra sink. Do you ever remember crying daddy when you were scared? Just on Wednesday, my little girl, she comes to the door. She walks in and she says that I was scared. I'm scared, daddy. My my room is scary. And I said, okay, come and lay with us. And I'm telling you, she walks over and she gets in bed and she lays down next to me and it didn't take one second for her to fall asleep. There was no fear with Daddy there. Now, if you did not have a dad like I had, I want you to understand that our standards should not be set on our earthly father, but our standards are on our heavenly father. And our Heavenly Father would tell us to have grace for our earthly Father. As we move through it, there's some debate about what Abba Father really means, but I think it's depending on your culture. It can be Father, it can mean Sir, it can mean Dad, or it can mean Daddy. It's this sign of respect, while at the same time being a sign of intimacy, all mixed together with this obedience. Man, if you are in my house, Daddy is going to melt my heart. But not if there's no obedience after it. (laughs) See, the greatest sign of calling me daddy is not calling out my name, but recognizing my desire for obedience and wanting to be obedient because you have this love for me. See, my love does not change for them. But if they're obedient, we can build this stronger relationship. And I think so often we read this Bible, we get carried away about what these words mean. And I get it, I pray. When I pray, I say Father because I believe that's what the Scripture says. But if I said Daddy, I believe truly that is okay. I believe it's the heart. And what matters is my obedience. My obedience to the One that calls me His. The One that adopted me. The One that raised me. You see, our God, He did not need us. He wanted us. And He adopted us. And not just in name, we are His. And what is His is ours. Romans 8.17, If it's children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Heirs. We are heirs with Christ. Now here's the deal. Not one of us comes to Christ because of that. We come to God because we love Him. And then He proclaims us as child. We are His child. We are a child of the richest being in all of the universe. And He calls us His. Before, we were living in this debt, this debt of sin that is worse than the United States government. Guys, $29 trillion. Every single one of you owes $88,000. 
That's why I keep talking about taxes. <laughs> but Christ, He takes everything. And He doesn't just pay it down to zero. He exchanges the bank account. The only catch is that we suffer with Him. How bad would a job have to be that you would not take $29 trillion? I was listening to J.D. Greer the other day. He said, if you could follow Jesus and the only thing He promised you would be suffering, would it be worth the glory that you will see in heaven? And I say yes, a million times over, yes. If you could suffer for 80 years and have an eternity with glory, that's so much better than mediocrity and a separation from Christ forever. Christ suffered. He suffered up to death for you. And I'm telling you guys that God has blessed me. I look out and I see so many of you and I know that God has blessed you, but that must never be what it's about. It's about Him. It's about loving Him. The blessing should never be our goal. That is simply a byproduct of loving Jesus. So as we go through this week, I want us to think about allowing the Spirit to kill sin in our life. I want us to think about picking up our cross daily as we walk with Him, as we talk about having other people around us, as we confess sin, as we love the Lord. Can we do that this week? Can we do that the week after? Can we do that for the years to come? Can we live a life obligated to Jesus Christ and not obligated to the sin, to the death in this world? I think so. He has set us free. And we are no longer in bondage. Guys, we are free. This life is temporary. But eternity is forever. And it will be an eternity. An eternity with Jesus Christ. Think about that. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I love you so much. I thank you that you are our God. That you are holy, holy, holy. That you purchased me. Because of that, I am free. My obligation to you is not bondage, but freedom. And I pray that that freedom would Instill in me this desire to follow you, to be obedient, to obliterate sin, to have a desire for you and not a desire for this world. Lord, I thank you for your son and the suffering that he did on the cross so that a wretch like me could be saved. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.